Episode 30 of Outlander Cast is brought to you by the Tag Your It Etsy shop. From Outlander-inspired necklaces and rings to custom designs for birthdays or any occasion, every piece is created by Dawn, one letter at a time, and is one of a kind. Please take the time to visit Dawn at www.tagyourit.biz. That's B-I-Z. Tell her Marion Blake sent you. And use the coupon code OUTLANDERCAST15 for 15% off your purchase. As always, tag your mama, tag your pet, tag your it. Whatever it is. People disappear all the time. Most are found. Eventually. Disappearances, after all, have explanations. Usually. Cast with Mary and Blake. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. Everyone, I'm your host, Mary Larson. My name's Blake. And I'm all pumped to Jack again for Outlander after that San Diego Comic-Con. Oh my goodness, so much exciting stuff. Love seeing the pictures especially, because you can just tell everyone there had an awesome time. I mean, I was a little jealous. I do have a newborn in my hands, so it's okay that I didn't go. But I kind of was jealous. I was going to say, I really, really want to go to the next one. I think we should <laughs> we should make it a point. And anybody who wants to come with us, I say, let's, let's bring it all on. Let's we'll, have go. A, we'll have a wonderful little train. Let's do hashtag. SDCC 16. There you go. I like that. <laughs> Honestly, we would be there if we didn't have a, a six-week-old in my hands and right a, now. And a two-year-old. Gosh, man. Who's going to watch our kid? Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know. <laughs> Nobody wants to watch our kid. <laughs> Diana Gabaldon would not be able to because she's she's there. She's there. She can't watch our kid. Who knows? Someone will. Well, nonetheless, yeah, tons of great things seem to be going on with just the energy of Outlander. You know, we, of course, finished this first season. Now they get to go into Comic-Con. There are people with kilts, with bagpipes, tons of interviews, tons of fun things. We've been able to see pictures and get kind of little uh, snippets and sneak peeks about what to expect in season two. And the best thing about all of this is that they're already filming season two. Right now, as we speak, as you listen to this right now, it's being filmed. And granted, it is going to be a very long time before. A serious Droughtlander. We thought Droughtlander was tough. Oh, wait, I thought we were going with Withoutlander. Withoutlander? I mean, time's a million. That's, that's really what it is. It's going to be a long time. But you know what? That means you get to reread the books if you are a book reader like myself or for Blake, you can just rewatch the seasons. You mm-hmm. can continue to listen to the amazing work that Bear McCreary has done. I can't wait for his next CD to drop of the second half of this season. And you can listen to interviews like the one that we have today. That's to right. Get to, where you rewatch the series, you know, while you're sad and you're you're missing your Jamie and your Claire. You can watch an episode and then say, wait a second. Oh, 
I get that. That was mentioned in that interview on Outlander cast by, you know, when when Blake, that guy with that funny Boston accent, when, <laughs> when he was interviewing Ira. You always got to throw yeah. a dig at me, don't you? <laughs> I love you. Don't you? It's <laughs> yes. okay. So to help make Droughtlander or Withoutlander or just this long time that we've got to go before we get some good old Jamie and Claire loving. Otherwise known as hell. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to have some awesome interviews for you. And um, I'm pretty excited because today's is Iris Stephen Bear. That's right. And if you don't know who he is, he is the writer uh, of many episodes, including The Garrison Commander, To Ransom a Man's Soul, and also Wentworth Prison. He wrote some some tough stuff, guys. He, he wrote he wrote like a lot of the legwork uh, for this season. And, and but instead of us telling you about Ira, let's have Ira talk about Ira. Let's have <laughs> Ira talk about what he wrote and what he did and did not do. Let's just get to it. He did everything. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us today is Ira Stephen Bear, a television producer and screenwriter, most known for his work on Star Trek The Next Generation, but especially on Deep Space Nine, on which he served as showrunner and executive producer. He was also the executive producer and showrunner on Crash and Sci-Fi's Alphas, but we all know him as a writer and executive producer on our favorite television show, Outlander. Ira, thank you so much for joining us here on Outlander Cast today. Absolutely. Why don't you start off by telling us how you came into Outlander? Well, that's simple enough. I, uh, I, Ron and I had been actually talking for maybe close to a year about doing something together and we were working on a number of projects that we were trying to get off the ground. And, uh, so we had been meeting more than we had in quite a while and that was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we were just trying to throw balls up in the air and see what would land. And at the same time, I knew he had something going on at stars that we really hadn't discussed it. And so when he called me and said, uh, you know, something just happened and you know, you're one of the first people I'm calling. I want to know if you'd be interested in doing this with me. And, uh, all you have to do is read a 700 page book and give me your answer in a week. So it was like, okay. So I was unaware of uh, the whole phenomenon of Outlander, but uh, I sat and I read the book and uh, I called him back and I thought, I told him it seemed interesting. I had no idea at the time whether or not uh, I could uh, write this material, something from the 17 hundreds in Scotland, uh, something that all the writers turned out to share, that same kind of, "Mm, can we actually do this? And uh, I said yes, and next thing I knew, we hit the ground running. And that seems like about five years ago, and (laughs) we've, (laughs) but uh, it's not, but it's, it's at least over two years ago, and so far we have 16 episodes of television to show for it. In addition to being a writer, you're actually an executive producer on the show. Uh, so right. to an average fan, 
what is that? And what is that like? What is your day like on a set of Outlander? Well, that's kind of two questions. Uh, the executive producer credit can mean a lot of different things. Mainly, it's often given as a as a kind of bone to writers uh, in lieu of money or because they have climbed the ladder. So it's a, it can be a, a kind of meaningless title. I've been a showrunner, obviously, for a number of years. So, um, you know, it, it depends. When, when Ron's not in the room, I kind of run the writer's room. Um, and uh, uh, on the set, I do what everyone does, which is basically I'm here for a block of episodes since we shoot, unlike in the States, where you shoot one episode at a, t- at a time. Here, they shoot two episodes at a time. In this case, for the start of season two, we're shooting three episodes at a time. And uh, the job, besides all the pre-production work and casting and... and uh, you know, meeting with the directors and meeting with all the department heads and all the sidebar meetings and meetings, 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 and rewrites, uh, production rewrites. Um, The job, once we go into production, is to be on the set throughout the shoot, be there as kind of, I guess you can say, quality control, but the directors would probably have my <laughs> balls for breakfast if they heard me say that. Um, they, uh, But yeah, it's basically just to know the intent of the scenes and know where we are at any given time, since when you're doing multiple episodes at once, it's easy to get lost in what the scene was before and what the, the next scene is after. And just to be on the set and be there to answer questions and to make sure that uh, the ship stays on course. Given your history with Ron, it sounds like you're kind of his consigliere. Uh, like he goes to you with the with the with the issues that he has troubles with. Is that is that true? I would say that I've used that term myself many times. Oh, uh, sm- smart men think alike. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. So yes, there there's a lot, and uh, you know we. We have an amazing shorthand, I think at times maybe too much so for some of the other writers. I know that, uh, you know, there are times I have this year in a way that the other writers sometimes feel like they do not. So it's, it's a fine line you have to walk, but, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm there to uh, to be as honest as I can, you know, and not be shy about stating my opinions. But at the same time, I get it. I'm there to uh, to be a supportive, you know, piece of the puzzle, and uh, that's what I do. So you know, that's how last season when. I was uh, originally going to write as my first script, episode three, and episode six was broken by the staff, and I could tell that 
and where I could tell that there were some issues about the confidence in, in that script. And I just went to her and I said, look, if you want me to do it, I'll switch episodes and uh, I'll do six. And he said, yes, yes, <laughs> thank you. You know, you'll, you, you know, I know you'll do it and you'll, you'll, you know, have a, have a, we'll get a great script out of it. So it's that kind of stuff, you know. Well, so episode six being the Garrison Commander, you yeah. have credit on that. You have credit on Wentworth Prison. Obviously, you have credit on the finale to Ransom of Man's Soul. It seems like you've pretty much cornered the market on Blackjack Randall. Uh, was this by design? Uh, it certainly wasn't by design. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't come in to the show. Uh, I mean, the main thing, <laughs> I think, that... Uh, I came in with was the whole uh, Angus Rupert that uh, that relationship and bringing them as as characters uh, in a in a more upfront way than certainly they were in the books and that was that was my thing coming in and we even went back in episode one uh, not not episode one in episode two you know and added you know, the the Rupert scene, and I was a big proponent of those two characters. Not everyone agreed with that at the beginning. Which uh, uh, which scene are you referring to? The the scene where Rupert is following her, and he says, I'm the eyes and ears <laughs> of... Yeah, that that's a scene that I... That, uh, I, I wrote a, a, a couple of scenes. Some of them, obviously, since we were trying to uh, shoehorn them in in what were basically completed scripts were difficult and some of them never there was a funny scene with Angus and Murtaugh at at a at one of the dinners at uh, Leoc that I wrote and got into the script we had to pull it out because we didn't have time so the Rupert thing survived but you know that was my thing I wasn't thinking about Blackjack at all um, until I got into the Garrison Commander and uh, then knowing that there wasn't much there from the book. There was a very small section of the book and not very detailed, except for the punch. It gave me a chance, as Ron said at the beginning, to write basically a one-act play, and that's when I really got into the character and, uh, you know, started to come up with all these little pieces uh, that that interested me. Uh, you know, there was a lot more with uh, with the general and the other soldiers in my script that had to be cut for time. But uh, you know, it was it was the small details, the pouring the wine out of the window, uh, uh, the the line, the the truth bears a weight that no lie can counterfeit. I mean, there were things that I just discovered along the way that made it these little things that that started to fascinate me, and I realized just what a a complicated. I never really thought about Blackjack much, or that he was a complicated character, uh, except that he had a you know uh, a, a wicked dark side to him, but that that wasn't all that interesting at first for me. But then as I went through it and yes, then I became blackjack and on other episodes, I would be brought in to 
punch up the blackjack scenes and then uh obviously uh writing uh you know 15 and then Ron got stuck and asked me to jump on to 16 and you know write all those scenes with blackjack uh so suddenly I'm the blackjack guy and I I read about how wonderful Tobias is and I go oh interesting (laughs) (laughs) so getting back to the episodes 15 and 16 you know I read somewhere I forget where but um, Diana Gabaldon provided you you and Ron some notes on how to handle Wentworth uh, apparently Um, with that said what kind of research did you do and and how did you get into that mental place to write such a controversial television episode In, in other words what was it like trying to break that story with Ron like I know you said you just brought him he brought you on to 15 what was that whole process uh, like? In uh, 16, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing, which I don't know if it makes for good you know, stories or not, but actually I wrote uh, Wentworth Prison in something like six days. Uh, I just kind of zipped through it, and when I talked to Ron and I said, hey, uh, you, uh, you want to read? 15 and he goes what are you talking about I said well I, I'm done and he goes you're done that was fast uh, I said yeah I mean it was you know I wasn't doing anything else at the time <laughs> it was quiet in the office you know so I just uh, you know it's it's you know there, there were things that obviously the book uh, um uh, help with, but again, there were things from the, from the show itself. Now that we had a history with blackjack, you know, that whole six about talking about, you know, how he had made this masterpiece with Jamie and that, and that connection, his obsession with Jamie, um, you know, it just, at that point in the season, I had spent so much time thinking about blackjack that, you know, as I said in other interviews, uh, it was a lot easier to write than actually watch them film. Uh, you know, that was very uncomfortable watching it, but the writing of it was just the characters are rich and interesting. It's an interesting situation. It's a disturbing situation. And, and, uh, it was, you know, once I, you know, the 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 part of rubbing his face and licking the you know the how does it feel i always get excited when i feel like there's one line not necessarily for the audience or the actors but for me that kind of sums up the episode for me what i'm trying to achieve so when i wrote the line in 15 about what does it feel like to uh to be alive yet wear so much dead flesh you know I mean, that line just explained a lot to me. And, you know, uh, that obsession, yes, there's the the sexual aspect of it, but the sexual aspect was not as interesting to me because I knew that was going to happen and it was there and people were going to talk about it and blah, blah, blah. But but it was getting to there, getting to there. You know that's why adding the the situation about uh, 
Blackjack coming to give him an honorable death. You know, that seemed like an important thing to keep Blackjack from being just a, a, you know, a cliched, crazed, horror type of villain. I mean, he did have this code of honor that he cared so much about Jamie that the mere thought of him hanging was such a death that was unworthy of him. And he really wanted to give him a, a worthy death. You know, and if not for the cattle stampede, you know, Ron and I talked it over and it was like, yeah, without a doubt, he would have killed him. He would have uh, honored his part of the bargain and and killed him because there was no way he could he could save him at that point. Not that he necessarily even wanted to save him. But um, so it, it was, you know, I look back on it and it's like any script. You you get into his own. You have zero pages when you go in there. All you have is a blank screen or a blank pad of paper or whatever. And six days, eight days, ten days, twelve days later, there's fifty, sixty pages. And every time I do it, and I've done it a lot, I look back and go, "How the fuck did that happen? Where was I when that was going on?" Well, you know, it's all a blur. Magic of the process. Well, some people have said that the show went too far with how graphic those scenes were in the last two episodes. So what would your response be to that claim? My response is everyone is allowed to have their opinion. <laughs> the one thing that does that I, I find that, that always leaves me with a kind of quizzical feeling is that, you know, I collect books. I read a lot, all different types of books, lots of fiction. I, I see a lot of movies. I am a compulsive movie watcher. I watch movies from all times, from the 20s to the 2000s. I watch American films, French films, German films, Italian films, you know, films from all over. And... I never judge a movie by, you know, whether I find the contents disturbing or whether I agree with things that people do. It seems like a very simplified way to go about viewing something or reading something, you know. Um, uh, yes, it's entertainment and it takes you out of yourself and it's all that stuff we could talk about for hours about the experience of creation and viewing and, you know, no time for that here. But but the idea that there's images that are disturbing, things I don't like, things that make me uncomfortable, that that's neither bad nor good. That I never take that into consideration. Is it, you know, uh, is it necessary? Does it work? Uh, uh, you know, that's that's what matters. So when I hear all this discussion about, you know, I didn't like it because I had to watch this, or I didn't, you know. It made me feel this and, and oh, poor that. I, I have a very hard time dealing with that. You know, there's a lot of things that go on in life, a lot of them good and a lot of them bad. And uh, execution, when it comes to portraying them, is everything. And I never once felt 
any sense of discomfort that we were being gratuitous or that we were taking advantage of the situation. Uh, I remember when I read the book, I thought, wow, crazy ending. <laughs> you know, what the hell is this? I didn't see this coming. Um, but okay, that's there. And that's, that's, that's what this is about. This is that part of the story. So I, I just don't, I, I kind of zone out, which is why I, I never, well, let's not say never, but I hardly ever read, you know, blogs and sites and all the, our job is to do the best show we can do. And then it's up for everyone else to decide whether we, we succeeded or failed. And I can't do anything about that. It's out of my hands at that point. And, uh, as one of my, one of my favorite lines in movie history is all I want is to enter my house justified. And, uh, I think with the first season of Outland, I felt we could all enter our houses justified, and that's what's important. You know, we read an article in The Observer, uh, which we actually really agreed with. They said that their viewer needed the unblinking eye of the camera uh, to, to see what was going on here. It compelled the viewer to watch it. Uh, and that in the end, it was the excess that c- created the success for the, the episode. And with that in mind, you talked about the experience and was it necessary? Um, I, I can understand that everyone's everyone has their own opinion, but what would you say to a viewer um, that what, what, what would you, why would you say that it, that it's necessary for the story? Well, I, you know, I think why it was necessary. Well, it, it that's the story about that relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the story. So we were either going to sugarcoat it, and you know, uh, uh, dumb it down, and 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 kind of lean away from it and, you know, make it something that had no reality. And I don't mean like reality, reality. (laughs) I'm talking about like the reality of the show. It had to fit into the reality of the show, what had come before, how we dealt with things before. And, uh, you know, it was all had to be of a piece. And this is what's going on. There's nothing there's nothing worth, uh, uh, you know, turning away from or, or lowering the eyes in, in a situation this ugly. You know, it's like, yes, if the audience doesn't want to look at it, that's fine. They can turn away. They can lower their eyes. They can change the channel. But we have to look. We as the... As the creators, we have to look at it. We have to present it. We, you know, if it was, if if this was a, a, a and I know it's, you know, people keep talking about rape when obviously this doesn't quite fit into what people usually think about rape, which is a whole other discussion, which I don't feel like getting into. But, but, um, you know. We ha- I kept thinking if this if Jamie was a woman, and this is 2015, and we're doing a show, 
are we going to be truthful or are we going to lie about it? And I think, you know, with with the the way television has 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 grown up, I think to a certain degree since. Uh, the Sopranos and the the new golden age, as they keep saying of television, you know, you have to go for it. That's the material and and you have to do it. You have to try to make it as, as honest as possible. And and when it just cracks me up because there's so many things we could have done if we wanted, if we really wanted to be, you know, if, if our whole, you know, of her whole reason was to 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 horrify or to take advantage of the situation. Good grief! You know, we could have made it really ugly, 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 and just kept it going and all that kind of stuff. But we did not. I mean, that's of course that's not what the intent was. So, um, you know. That's the story. Diana took it to a dark place. And, uh, you know, dramatically, I think it works very well. In some ways, I think it works. It's it's focused more, a little bit more than it is in the books. Because in the book, you know, you, you can digress and you can get into long discussions about this, that, and the other thing and describe this. There's 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 less of that on a TV show. You have less time, and and it's just more immediate, and it lives in front of you. Um, so that's what I would say to that person. <laughs> if I was talking to that person, and that person wanted to talk to me, and actually wanted to hear what I had to say, but that conversation is never going to take place most likely. <laughs> well, we're going to switch. It was all make-believe. <laughs> it was a make-believe conversation with who knows him. It was a good exercise. Like Let's it. put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I wanted to know if there's anything that we saw as viewers in any of these episodes that you had to fight for to make it into the final product. Wow. Are you talking about 15 and 16? Yeah, we can, we can stick with 15 and 16. Yeah, we can stick with those two. Um, Wow, I gotta think about it. Yeah, I mean, if not, don't fret. I just yeah, didn't or, know if there was. No, no, no. I mean, there were things, but there, you know, like the, uh, you know, like the, the scene in uh, with them in the in the tavern at the beginning of fifteen with Angus and Rupert and the and the finding out the information. You know, there was a question about whether we needed that or whether the humor was a correct way to go. But at the end, Ron said, oh, thank God we had those moments. You know, uh, the the ending when they're saying goodbye on the beach and the kind of strange goodbye with Rupert and Angus and Murtaugh. And, you know, to me, the, 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 to me, the most poignant moment in the whole show, believe it or not, is them sailing away in that rowboat and um, Willie standing there alone watching them go. You know, Willie to me is another character who didn't really exist 
and we almost didn't use and it was only when we hired Finn that he we really realized that this was a character who we could use and be a whole other texture in the show and he obviously is in love with Claire though he would never articulate that and he's this young very religious kid and I don't know there was something him not being able to tear himself away uh, which I found uh, very emotional that uh, that could have easily been lost. Uh, it, it, you know, there was one shot that Ron cut that I, I really wanted to keep in, uh, but he said he just he blinked, which was in the in the set in the second rape scene where Jamie. Um, acquiesces uh, to Black Jack's advances. There was one long shot that was pretty disturbing, um, which we're talking about putting into the uh, extras, maybe on the uh, DVD. That that just wasn't even written in. It was just something that the actors did on their own. Uh, but I thought it was really good that I wish we had kept. Um, really, um, really uncomfortable. <laughs> can you can you talk about it, or or you want to leave it's that? It's only to the... a shot. It's a shot, and oh, okay. to describe it would be to 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 lessen the impact. So let's we'll leave it to that. Let's hope they they. Uh, they put it in. I wish we could actually cut it into the show itself, but I doubt we can do that now, mm-hmm. even for the DVD. Um, but anyway, I have to say, you know, I had a, I had a really good experience season one of Outlander. I mean, uh, yes, there were things about some of the scripts, um, 10, uh, uh, um, by the pricking of my thumb was, you know, had a lot of, you know, it was covering so much ground and, um, you know, I think we needed a little more time to shoot some of the stuff, uh, that, that left me frustrated, but that's such a rare occasion. And even that show had Simon Callow as Sandringham, which I had such a good time writing. And I got to actually write my first kind of like sword fight, you know, (laughs) you know, which was great because I didn't want it to be a sword fight. I wanted it to be a brawl. And I really was happy the way that turned out. Um, So I just, you know, I had a really good time Uh, and I really, I know it doesn't, you know, because everything's about 15 and 16. But creatively, I felt very good. Let's put it that way. Not so much having a good time, because writing is always a, you know, uh, I wouldn't quite describe it as a good time. But I, I really was creatively fulfilled in in season one. And uh, it's it's, I only have, you know, good, good thoughts about it so as dire as these these past two episodes were um there was a, there was a lot of balance like i said about between the humor and and the terror um and, and love like dark yeah yeah but ultimately i felt like these episodes were about love um and do you feel that love conquers all in outlander 
I think that the 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 Jamie the Claire Jamie story is obviously at the heart of of the show, um, and their love story is a pretty great optimistic love story. Though there are other love stories, you know, the Frank Claire story is pretty damn interesting. Um, and the Murtaugh Jamie story is pretty interesting. And the <laughs> Angus Rupert story is interesting. And the, and the love hate between column and Dougal is interesting. And the Leary Jamie's, I mean, there's tons of relationship stories, but yes, I, 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 I don't know if love conquers all, you know, because the story has barely begun <laughs> and they, they, these people go through some, some, heavy changes. Uh, but, uh, I think it's, it's unlike a lot of shows where in the history of television, where when the couple gets married, it kind of like loses its steam and, you know, what next once the, they're married, the, the story seems to end. Um, that's not true with uh, with uh, Outlander, and I think that their story continues, and there's a lot of healing that needs to get done. Obviously, there's a lot of changes in store in season two, but I think ultimately that relationship is something that the fans want to watch, the writers want to write to, you know, and uh, so yes, in spite of all the darkness in in the series and all the pain and suffering, emotional, physical, in the series, I think ultimately it's an extremely positive story. You know, uh, about about love, like you said. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your extraordinarily busy day to uh, speak with us on Outlander Cast. We really appreciate it. I can speak for Mary and saying thank you so much. Our listeners are going to freak out when they hear this. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure uh, uh, to speak with you. I've been a, a huge fan of yours since uh, your, your days on uh, TNG and even DS9. And, and it's, it's, I'm kind of like fangirling a little bit here just to speak with you. Well, I hope it wasn't too much of a disappointment. And uh, once again, congratulations on the new baby. Thank you. And, and uh, all good things for you guys. So, Thank you. And all good things and, for you. I know that as okay. you said, you're you're starting off. Do you're doing all of the filming over there in Scotland already, and with your long nights. So we wish you the best and lots of good coffee. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Wow. Thank you once again, Ira, for joining us. What an awesome guy. He is amazing. And you know what? I love the fact that he had something to say to all the detractors of episodes 15 and 16. They're saying that it went too far. and that it, they, it didn't go too far. Well, everyone is entitled to their own opinion in my I agree, perspective. I agree, but you know, his answer and his re- reasoning was, listen, this was part of the story. It was part of it. Whether you like it or not, it was part of the story. And we either could accept it 
and make take the challenge and move forward with it, or we could back away. Well, and that's the thing, is that everyone's entitled to their opinion about if they were comfortable or enjoyed seeing that or if they thought it was appropriate. But you really got to hear why it was in there from the person who got to help make that decision's lips. The guy who wrote it. <laughs> so, you know, whether whether someone felt it was needed or not, I was telling you that it was his job and he wrote it and there's why. And and, and I'm so happy that we got to hear why. Yeah, and he did the best that he could. And obviously, he, they, a lot of thought went into it and a lot of pressure, I think, was built up because of it. The other funny thing I, I love about this is that he was not brought on to necessarily write the character Black Jack Randall. He was mainly brought in to give the comedic element to Rupert and Angus. And he just somehow grasped the idea of Black Jack Randall in the meantime. Love it. it, I, it you know, all three of those guys, such big personalities. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we need Black Jack Randall for the protagonist. But the the antagonist here I am saying for meaning for Jamie to have an antagonist. <laughs> there I had you like go. I had a full beautiful sentence in my head, and then I remembered <laughs> I had mom brain. Um, <laughs> for the protagonist to have his conflict, and of course Angus and Rupert for the lovely comedic effect. You know what they really reminded me of? They reminded me of C three PO and R two D two, especially in that last scene. You know <laughs> when uh, there's there's uh, the boob grab. Oh, you yeah. Know, things like that. I was like, oh, this is kind of like when C-3PO and I don't think C-3PO R2-D2 ever did a boo grab. are walking along in the desert. You know, it's kind of like the same shot. I want to do a side by side of them watching the, not, they didn't actually even watch the boat fly, sail away. See, I, I almost said fly. <laughs> I need to stop having children. This is what happens. Your brain, <laughs> you know, that your brain on drugs. The last time I checked, they never did a boob grab in Star Wars. <laughs> I hope not. I I'm, hope you not. know, I'm still wrestling with that ending, by the way, with the boob grab. I'm still wrestling with the idea that it went a little too far. Like, it seemed out of place. Um. Well, I think just because, as I said before, sexual assault had just happened earlier in that episode. Yeah. So then for something like that, inappropriate. But uh, for, you know, Ira even said that they needed to have a little comedic, some lightheartedness. Yeah. And I sure do just love that shot of that boat sailing away. I know. And if you haven't got a chance to listen to our final episode for... To Ransom a Man's Soul, we actually closed out our podcast episode with the entirety of the finale, like the last scene of To Ransom a Man's Soul. So please go back and listen to that. We have the whole scene with Jamie and Claire and the pregnancy and the beautiful Bear McCreary music. It was really awesome. It was such a great treat. I'm really happy that we came up with that idea. Oh, you're such a smart man. Well, wicked smart. I'm not smart right now. I've got mom brain. <laughs> All right, my <laughs> well, thank love. you, everyone. Yeah, this was just great. What do you say? You want to close out the show? Yeah. All right, let's do that. As a reminder, Outlander Cast is brought to you by the tag You're It Etsy Shop. From Outlander-inspired necklaces and rings to custom designs for birthdays or any occasion, every piece is created by Dawn one letter at a time and is one of a kind. I want to let you guys know that Dawn made me an awesome necklace. It has my son's name, Reese. 
with a very unique spelling, R-H-Y-S, which I guess isn't unique to those who might be in Europe, um, but it's not really common around here. So it says Reese and then um, another name, which is Felicity. So it's my two kids' names. So it is beautiful. Dawn made it with her hands and it's custom and I love it because now I have my kids right near my heart always. So please take the time to visit Dawn at www.tagyourit.biz. That's B-I-Z. Tell her Mary and Blake sent you and use the coupon code OUTLANDERCAST15 for 15% off your purchase. As always, tag your mama, tag your pet, tag your it, whatever it is. Guys, if you love OutlanderCast and you need more of Mary and Blake, you can always find us at OutlanderCast.com. There you will be able to find the Mary and Blake store, my ebook on how to get your friends and loved ones to watch Outlander with you. And then also you'll find this little support us tab and you can click on the Patreon page and become a patron of OutlanderCast, whether it's a dollar, two dollars, $125 billion. We will be glad to accept any contribution that you'd be able to make. And if you want to stay in touch with us during Dratlander without Lander, or hell, as Blake likes to call it, <laughs> you can reach out to us. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and sometimes Tumblr, but I'm not really good at Tumblr. I don't understand GIFs, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying. Anyway, our handles on all social media platforms are the same. It's OutlanderCast, just one word. Oh, another thing, too, is that all of our episodes now are on YouTube. Every single one of them, uh, not only just for Outlander cast, but for all of our Tall Mom Media projects, for like our parent cast and the Living Reminders and uh, everything that we do is on YouTube now. So please go to YouTube and search Tall Mom Media and you will find every single episode that we do. And not to mention this, Mary and I are going on a big trip. We are going on a huge trip to the podcast movement in Fort Worth, Texas. So if any of you are in Fort Worth, Texas, please, please send us an email. We'd love to get together and have a drink, meet up, say hi, you know, hang out, kibitz, and uh, go through hell together. What do you think? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And you can meet Felicity because she's coming along for the ride. (laughs) Well, thank you all so incredibly much for tuning in. And thank you once again to Ira. We had a great time interviewing him. As always, my friends, I'm Mary. My name's Blake. And you've been listening to Outlander Cast. Mm -hmm.